Welcome back to the podcast. Over the next four weeks, I'm going to be playing some sermons that I gave from John chapter 13 and 14. In these two chapters, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. These disciples, they've spent the past three years with Jesus. They've seen him teach. They've seen him perform signs and wonders. They've seen him even raise people to life. But now he's leaving. And here in these chapters, the disciples are asking Jesus their final questions before he goes. And when we think about it, those questions about Jesus' absence, well, they still affect us today. Our situation is not that different from the disciples. It's not that different to John's readers. What do I mean? Well, Jesus says in these chapters, things for when he's gone. And that is the same situation we're in, isn't it? Jesus hasn't returned yet, so we're in the same situation. So as we look at these passages together, we should be on the edge of our seats. Jesus is saying these things with you in mind. Isn't that amazing? He's talking about things that affect us now. So let's hear these questions and hear the answers that Jesus gives. Daniel chapter 7, I'm going to read verses 1 to 12. 1 to 12. I'm looking at, the, I'm looking at Dave. 1 to 14. Thank you. I did wonder. Um, 1 to 14 of Daniel chapter 7. Okay. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream. And visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its feet wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being and the mind of a human was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back, it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place and the Ancient of Days took his seat His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch. Because of the boastful words the horn was speaking, I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but they were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming from the clouds of heaven. He was led, uh, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. 
He was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. I'm going to read from John chapter 13, verse 31. It says this. Uh, When he, that's Judas, was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we come to your word now, you would be speaking to us through it. Incline our hearts, open our eyes, and show us wonderful truths this morning, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, over the next four weeks, we're going to be working our way through John 13 and 14. Now, in these two chapters, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. These disciples, they've spent the past three years with Jesus. They've seen him teach. They've seen him perform signs and wonders. They've seen him even raise people to life. But now, in John chapter 13 and 14, it is just them. Just Jesus with his true disciples. Time slows down as well. We've had three years condensed into 12 chapters, and now here we're going to have one evening that's going to span the next four. And Jesus has just told his disciples, just told his friends, his followers, that he's soon going to be leaving them. He's soon going to be betrayed. He's soon going to be killed. Just place yourself in the shoes of those 11 disciples. As I said, you've seen wonderful things. You've seen God at work. You've had the chance to walk, to talk, to laugh, to cry with Jesus. And now he's leaving. In fact, right here in the passage we're looking at this morning, Jesus is going to say that now, right now, is the time for him to leave. What are you thinking? How does it make you feel? You see, these chapters of John's gospel, they're the last words of Jesus before he goes to his death. These are his last words to his disciples before he leaves them. And we have these words recorded 
Not for them, but for us. You see, the situation we find ourselves in today, it's not actually that different to the disciples. It's not that different to John's readers. What do I mean? Well, what Jesus says here in these chapters is for when he's gone. And that's the same situation we find ourselves in today, isn't it? Jesus hasn't returned yet. So we're in the same situation. So as we read this, we should be on the edge of our seats because Jesus is saying these things with you out there, you in there, you on there, in mind. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is talking about things that are going to affect us now. So as Jesus gives his final words to the disciples in that upper room, he's giving them answers to questions they have about his absence, about the time period before he returns, about the time period that we live in. As I said, Jesus has not returned yet. So what we have here is of enormous benefit for us today. So how do you feel about Jesus being absent? Does it worry you? I mean, we believe that Jesus was born, that he lived, that he died, and then he disappeared. Wouldn't it be surely more convincing if he was still around today? Can we really be sure that Jesus is everything we need to get to God? Is there something more to see after Jesus? You see, those are all questions we might have. They might be questions I've just given you and you now have. But those are all questions that the disciples certainly have because they're recorded for us here. And we're going to have those questions answered for us over these next few weeks. See, John has written everything here down for us so that we can believe, so that we can know that Jesus is who he came to be, the Messiah, the Son of God. And that through that, we can believe, we can know that we have life in his name. Well, I'm hoping that that has whetted your appetite for the rest of July, because this is where we're going to be now for the next few weeks. So let's have a look at what our text this morning has to say, shall we? See, the big concern for the disciples this morning in this text is, hasn't it all gone wrong? See, Judas, as Sam said, he's just gone to betray Jesus. The scene is dark. It's nighttime. The 12 minus one are now sitting in a room with Jesus after sharing a meal together. So it's almost the perfect movie scene, isn't it? This is the kind of thing you'd have for the moment that the hero is about to face their greatest ever threat. Perhaps you can hear the strings playing in the background just to give us some suspense. I mean, is this, this really the way things are meant to be? Surely they should be doing something about the guy who's just left to betray. I mean, if Jesus is who he claims to be, well, how can he let something like this happen? See, the disciples, they're left wondering, hasn't it all gone wrong? Perhaps as we read this story, so we read what the Bible says, we are thinking that too. But this morning, Jesus wants to correct that understanding. You see, what Jesus is revealing is that it's not gone wrong. Instead, what he wants us to know is that this moment, this betrayal, this death, is how Jesus will be seen for who he is. Or to put it another way, this is how God will receive glory. See, those two things are the same thing, actually. When you see something for what it really is, it shows its glory. 
glory is to grasp, to understand the real significance of who or what something is. And so Jesus is saying that this very moment, his death on the cross, is going to reveal who he is, who he really is, in a way that has never happened before. So if we miss that fact, we might think that everything has gone wrong. We might see Jesus' death as a tragic mistake. We might think that maybe God's having to switch to plan B. We might, as it says in chapter 14, verse 1, find our hearts troubled, as the disciples do here. But Jesus' response to the very first question his disciples are asking here, in this passage, is there to turn this all around. So let's see, shall we? How, does Je- how is Jesus seen for who he is? How is Jesus seen for who he is? Well, the passage this morning gives us four ways. Four ways that Jesus is seen for who he is. Four things that are going to connect us tightly to Jesus' upcoming death, resurrection and ascension. And the first of those is by him leaving. How is Jesus seen for who he is? Well, by him leaving. You can see that in verses 31 and 32. Now, as I say that, you might, that might strike you as odd. How can Jesus leaving be a good thing? I mean, surely it would be better if Jesus was to stick around. If Jesus was around today, it would make our lives at Christchurch Hemel much easier, wouldn't it? Rather than getting our, struggling to get our friends and family to read the Bible, we could just say, hey, come meet this guy, physical Jesus. Rather than trying to persuade a colleague to do Christianity Explored, well, they could come see the man himself. Rather than listening to me or Sam speak on a Sunday morning, you could have the real deal. Glad no one's laughing too much at that. But you see, Jesus is saying that now, that very moment there in John 13, that moment is the moment he is going to be glorified. That is the very moment that he's going to be seen for who he is. In fact, more than that, this very moment will reveal God like he's never, ever been revealed before. Well, how is that the case? It might look simply like what has happened is one man has gone out into the night and another man is going to die. I mean, that is what happens in the passage, isn't it? Judas, verse 30, he goes out into the night to betray Jesus and Jesus is going to go to his execution because of it. But Jesus wants us to see this as a glorious moment. Let me read verses 31 and 32 for us. When he, Judas, was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. It's in this moment, this upcoming moment, that Jesus is going to be glorified. It's in this moment that God is going to receive all the glory. It's in this moment as Jesus is sent to the cross. In fact, Jesus uses a phrase uh, that's meant to make us think a bit bigger. He calls himself the Son of Man. Hopefully that's ringing some bells in your head from earlier. Because we can read the passage that Jesus is alluding to here. 
You can find it in Daniel chapter 7. We had it read for us earlier. It was a slightly strange sounding, but it was a majestic sounding scene, wasn't it? It was a scene when the beasts of the earth, that's God's enemies, they're cast down and the Son of Man receives all of the glory. See, it's one of the big moments of the Bible where the Son of Man is given an everlasting dominion and an indestructible kingdom. Let me just read those verses. Daniel 7, 11 to 14. Daniel says this, Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? Do you see what Jesus is saying here? Jesus is saying, this is that. This moment is that moment. That moment in Daniel chapter 7 is the same moment here. You see, it's not just one man goes out and one man gets killed. No, this is the moment when God's enemies, they're decisively beaten. The moment when the Son of Man receives all of the glory. So you might look and think that it's all gone wrong. But this is not a mistake, disciples. This is a glorious moment. This is not a mistake, Christchurch Hemel. This is the moment of God's glory. So don't let your hearts be troubled. This isn't everything gone wrong. No, this is the moment that Jesus is seen for who he is. This is the moment that the Son of Man receives all the glory. This is the moment that God is revealed like he's never been revealed before. And it's all unfolding right now as Judas betrays Jesus and sends him to his death. See, as we sit here this morning, we can be confident that Jesus' death was God's big plan. It might look weak. It might look feeble. But behind the scenes, this is the moment that God's enemies are cast down. And this is the moment that Jesus receives all the glory. See, right now, the Lord Jesus is in glory reigning over the whole universe. So don't be troubled. Jesus going away is a good thing because he's reigning as king. How is Jesus seen for who he is? Well, first off, by his leaving. That's great to know, isn't it? But what about the disciples who are left behind? Well, Jesus addresses them next. Have a look at verse 33. Jesus says, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Wait a minute, Dave. Didn't you just say that Jesus leaving was a, a good thing? That sounds very much like a bad thing to me. I mean, hasn't it all gone wrong? See, that sentence from Jesus' mouth is going to have hit the disciples like a ton of bricks. Where I am going, you cannot come. 
So Jesus has said the exact same phrase to other people in John's gospel. He said it to the unbelieving Jews back in John chapter 8, verse 21. Back then, the Jews Jesus was speaking to, they'd rejected him. So Jesus said to them, well, I'm going away. You will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. I mean, that's understandable, isn't it? If someone wants to reject Jesus, well, Jesus rejects them. That's expected. But what about his disciples? Surely the plan would be for them to go with him. But they seem to be left in the same situation as the unbelieving group earlier. Hasn't it all gone wrong? We'll get more of an answer to what's going on in a moment. But remember, this whole passage is about Jesus' glory. How is Jesus seen for who he is? So in Jesus' absence, he carries on and he gives them a job to do. Look at verse 34 and verse 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you're taking notes, that's the second way Jesus is seen for who he is here. The second point this morning, how is Jesus seen for who he is? By his disciples' love. Now, when we say love, when we talk about love, we need to define it, don't we? I mean, love is a word nowadays that's been stretched and pulled in so many different ways over the years. I don't know what comes into your mind when I say the word love. Maybe it's Disney. Maybe it's the Beatles. Maybe it's Valentine's Day. Maybe it's something else. Well, in the Old Testament, Israel were given the command to love their neighbor as themselves. They were to be unlike the people who had oppressed them. They were to be unlike the people who'd taken advantage of them. Yet Jesus' command, it goes so much further than what that had. That's how we can call this a new command. Just notice how he nuances it. Verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. You see, Jesus is the model for this love. This love that goes further than anything before. It's because of Jesus' upcoming death that his disciples can do this. See, as Christians love one another, Jesus is shown to be who he is. As Christians love one another, they prove Jesus' words true. And did you notice that love is distinctive? See, this love, if it wasn't something that others could do, it wouldn't be something that everyone, and it does say everyone there, could see as different. This love is distinctive. Do you see verse 35? By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, this love for one another will be a sign to everyone. A sign that shows Jesus' disciples. This love is going to show God's, Jesus' glory to the world. And when you think of love that way, it's reassuring, isn't it? When you see a bunch of people who have nothing in common, joined together by the gospel, it shows that Jesus must be who he says he is. So if your hearts are troubled this morning, if you want reassurance this morning, take a look around. 
See, I'm so encouraged by the way that this church here loves one another. And I think that's a challenge for anyone looking into Christianity this morning. Perhaps that's you this morning. See, we struggle, don't we, so much as a world, as a society, to even get along. We struggle to love. We struggle to care for one another. In fact, the world's agenda at the moment, it seems to be more about dividing and separating people along different lines, doesn't it? See, when you really think about it, the way that Christians care for one another, it's really surprising. Well, how is Jesus seen for who he is? By his disciples' love. As Jesus' followers show the love they've been shown to the rest of the world. So this morning, don't let your hearts be troubled. Take a look around. See the love enabled by Jesus. Well, that's two of the ways Jesus is seen for who he is. By his leaving, by his disciples' love. And the third way comes in verses 36 to 38. And let me tell you, this one's surprising. How is Jesus seen for who he is? By Peter's betrayal. Now that might sound surprising to you. See, Peter's the first disciple to ask Jesus a question in this section. And we're going to be tracing these uh, questions as we go through week by week. Now as you read John's Gospel, you learn two things about Peter. The first one, he really, and I mean really, wants to serve and follow Jesus. And the second one, he's very quick to open his mouth. Very quick. And Peter, he's got stuck on what Jesus has just said back in verse 33. Peter's got stuck on the idea of not being able to go with Jesus. It's a fair concern to have, really. Back in the previous chapter, Jesus said, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. So when Jesus says that his disciples can't follow him, well, that's a real concern for Peter. In fact, Peter's starting to wonder, hasn't it all gone wrong? But Jesus explains further. Verse 36, Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. See, Peter can't follow Jesus to the cross. Peter can't come to that moment we saw in Daniel 7. That's something that Jesus must do alone. But Peter, he just can't understand why. He just doesn't get it. Why can't I follow you now? He asks. In fact, he says, verse 37, I will lay down my life for you. It's a bold move from Peter. See, Peter knows that Jesus going to Jerusalem means Jesus is going to die. He's known that from at least chapter 11 of John. See, Peter is happy to get in the way, to follow, to serve Jesus by protecting him. Or at least he thinks he is. The idea comes down to earth with a sharp bump in verse 38. Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the cock crows, you'll disown me three times. Just get what Jesus is saying here. See, Peter is the most ardent follower of Jesus in the Gospels. 
I mean, if you were to name a disciple in a pub quiz, Peter would probably be number one, right? He is the, the top disciple. It's him who calls the shots. And yet Jesus says that he, that even Peter, is going to disown him. See, the top disciple is not going to stand with Jesus. Peter will not stand with Jesus. Just imagine what that sounds like. This might help. Do you remember your results day at school? Maybe some people listening now have just had one. Now, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but it happened to me. I remember clearly on results day, finding out that the guy who was the top of my class had only just scraped through the exam. The guy who was the expert, he'd only just scraped through. We weren't feeling sorry for him. No, we turned straight to ourselves. The immediate thought was, well, if he did so badly, surely I failed as well. Surely we've all failed. That's what all my classmates were thinking at the time. And that's kind of what's going on here. If Peter's going to fail, well, what about the rest of them? But remember, the big thing we're seeing, the big thing we're talking about this morning is how Jesus is seen for who he is. We're talking about Jesus being glorified, aren't we? And the amazing news here is that Jesus' glory is not going to be affected by this. In fact... Jesus will be glorified even though Peter disowns him. Even though Peter fails, even though Peter says, I am not, when he's asked if he's a disciple of Jesus, Jesus still is glorified. See, as we see Peter's failure, we see Jesus' glory all the more. As the top disciple fails, we see Jesus for who he really is, the perfect sufficient saviour. Isn't that reassuring for us this morning? See, Jesus' glory doesn't rely on us getting things right. Even the best disciple, well, he denies Jesus. Yeah, that doesn't stop Jesus from being seen for who he is. In fact, it brings everything into sharper light. So this morning, if you've messed up an opportunity with your friend or with your neighbour or whether you struggle to ask the right question uh, in a Bible study, on a Wednesday night at growth group, or on a ladies' group study, if you don't preach the passage exactly right, or any other way that you might mess up this week. See, that doesn't stop Jesus from receiving glory. That doesn't stop Jesus from being seen for who he really is. Of course, don't hear me wrong. That's not a reason not to try. But whatever happens... Jesus still has all the glory. After Jesus has gone and his disciples are left on their own, Jesus will still be on his throne, no matter what. So don't let your hearts be troubled. Yeah, that's not the end of the story this morning. And we see why in our final point this morning. Jesus is glorified despite Peter's betrayal. But Jesus is also glorified through Peter's inclusion. See, how is Jesus seen for who he really is? Final point, point four, if you're taking notes, by bringing his friends home. You can see that in verses one to four of chapter 14. Now, it might go against our senses, but there really isn't a gap between chapter 13, verse 38, and chapter 14, verse one. I mean, even when Sam read it, it felt to me like there was a gap. There isn't. Jesus is still talking to the same group about the same thing. This is still carrying on. 
Yet the room is silent. The disciples, they're still reeling after hearing that their spokesperson is going to betray Jesus. Hasn't this all gone wrong, Jesus, they're thinking. But as we've been seeing all morning, if there's only one thing you've been hearing me say, it hasn't gone wrong. This is how Jesus is seen for who he is. Jesus says no. He turns immediately and says, verse 1, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. So in Jesus' absence, the disciples, they still need to keep their trust. They still need to continue to believe in what they know to be true. As we said, everything Jesus is saying here is to comfort them and to help them believe, continue believing that Jesus is who he says he is. And it's because of that, because of who he is, that he can say what comes next. I mean, we've had one of the moments in our family life that most families seem to remember. It's our first day of school. Well, it was preschool, really. Still counts. I mean, you try and persuade the child that everything's going to be okay, don't you? You say to them, you will have a good time. You will get a snack. You will make some friends. But what is it that really clinches the deal for that child? The phrase goes a bit like this. And I will take you home after. Knowing what, knowing the end helps you in the in-between. And what Jesus is saying here is something very similar. He says he's going to prepare a place for his disciples. Now, when we hear a phrase like that, prepare a place, we might start to wonder what's going on. If you have an older translation of the Bible, it starts to talk here about mansions. Perhaps you've heard that, you've sung about that before. I mean, we don't use that word in the same way it was meant then. So our understanding is not exactly the same. And we might miss what Jesus is saying. Let me tell you what Jesus is saying here. What Jesus is saying is something far better than a mansion. Imagine that, something far better than a mansion. When Jesus says he is preparing a place, he's using language similar to Genesis. He's using language from the creation story. Because what Jesus is talking about here is the new creation, the new world, the new creation that's going to make any mansion look like a wooden shack. Because Jesus is going away, he can prepare that place. Because Jesus is going, well, he can come back and take his friends there with him. By having certainty that Jesus will come again, the disciples can be comforted in the here and the now, just like a parent at the school gate. The disciples can know that Jesus leaving isn't a big mistake. Instead, what Jesus is doing as he goes to the cross, he's going to open the way there. And so Jesus will come and take his friends home. So he guarantees that. So don't let your hearts be troubled. It might appear that everything has gone wrong, but things are exactly how they're supposed to be. Jesus going away is a good thing. He's gone to open the way to the Father. Through the cross, Jesus makes it possible for his friends, for us, to be with him and to be with him forever. So as we read this passage, leading to Jesus' execution, we can know that this isn't a mistake. This isn't everything gone wrong. We can hear Jesus' words of chapter 14, verse 1, words that I've been saying all through this sermon. Don't let your hearts be troubled. 
See, for the disciples that very evening, it might look like it's game over. Their friend, their Lord is about to go and die. It might look like one man has gone out into the night and the plan has been torn up. But Jesus shows that it's this moment, this moment when the beasts of the earth are thrown down and the son of man takes his rightful place. This is Jesus' enthronement. The disciples can be assured that Jesus is reigning as they love one another in a way that's never been seen before. A way that reveals Jesus as Lord of all. They can know that despite their failures, nothing is going to knock Jesus off his throne. And they can go into the world sharing the good news with complete confidence. And they can know that Jesus has done everything necessary to take them home. He's opened the way and he'll return to take them with him. This is not everything gone wrong. This is God's plan. God's plan for Jesus to be seen for who he is. And therefore, it's the same for us too. See, we might think to ourselves, it's better if Jesus was physically here with us now. But because Jesus isn't here right now, things are exactly on track. So don't let your hearts be troubled this morning. Don't think that things happening right here, right now, mean that things have gone wrong. Jesus is on his throne. He will come again. So in the meantime, let's continue loving one another and doing our best to share the good news about him. As Jesus says, John 14, verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Let's pray we do that, shall we? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that through the cross, Jesus was seen for who he really is. Thank you that the cross was not a mistake. Thank you that it wasn't everything gone wrong, but instead it was the moment that the Son of Man received all the glory. Help us to be confident in the message of the cross as we go into our weeks. And help us not to be troubled in our hearts, but instead to be bold for the gospel. Help us to know and believe that Jesus is on his throne right now and that he will come again to bring his friends home. Thank you for the truths you've spoken through your word this morning. In the name of our reigning saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions, you can send them to podcast at david-couch.com. See you next time.